thanks for joining us for another episode of the Appledore Research Podcast. My name is Robert Curran, Consulting Analyst with Appledore. As ever, we're here to share insights on the transformation of telecom in the era of cloud, network automation, and AI. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Now, enjoy the show. Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, today's podcast is on 5G and the intelligent edge in the cloud era. And it's my pleasure today to be with uh, Shekhar Uyar. He's uh, CEO of Arcus. He's a very seasoned technology executive with 25 years of experience in the industry. Um, for those those of you, most people know Shekhar, but his previous role before Arcus is he was executive vice president and general manager of Telco and Edge for the cloud business at VMware. And uh, that became one of VMware's largest verticals um, prior to uh, uh, the, you know, that role uh, within VMware, uh, Shekhar was EVP of strategy and corporate development. Um, so he led a lot of the merger and acquisition and strategic investments that VMware made, um, including over 60 acquisitions and investments. Some of the more notable ones uh, would be NYSERA uh, for software-defined networking, uh, Velo Cloud uh, in and around SD WAN and uh, Uhana for AI driven mobile network automation. Uh, so pleasure, uh, pleasure to have you here, Shekhar, and thank you for joining the podcast. Wonderful to join, uh, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Let me give our uh, audience just a, a flavor for Arcus. Um, you know, for those that, that are not familiar with the company, their focus is in the 5G edge computing area and then also multi-cloud networking. So um, if I step back and look at where uh, they're disrupting the market, um, a number of areas, one's in core networking. Um, so uh, Arcus is providing solutions, you know, for the backbone and internet um, for large organizations um, around high capacity, high performance routing and switching. We've mentioned 5G and edge computing. So we're seeing this shift towards distributed cloud computing and Arcus obviously has an opportunity there. Uh, Multi-cloud networking. So that's sort of a stable of the industry right now. And then probably an area that we've looked at quite extensively around network automation software is the software driven innovations and a capability, a technology that Arcus has called connected uh, connected edge. So uh, ACE, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and then let, Shekhar, let me just, um, I guess, bring everybody up to date. Last year you had a funding round with Hitachi Ventures and you raised, I believe, a total capital raise of around 65 million to date. Is that is that accurate? In that round, that's correct. And uh, <clears throat> leading that round was actually Prosperity 7, uh, which is the venture arm of Aramco. Okay. Let, let me start, uh, Shekhar, with how do service providers make money in the emerging edge network? Some, something that we get a lot of questions from our uh, clients about. Yeah, so first I would say <clears throat> there's a very traditional thinking around service providers uh, in terms of their ownership of the network and what kind of uh, services that they have been thinking about providing. 
historically, this has always in some form or fashion gone back to some level of voice and data services that they are able to bring to um, consumer and enterprise customers. What is happening now is fundamentally a shift in terms of how these networks operate, how they are built, how dynamic they are, how easy it is to create new services, uh, as well as accessibility to many uh, infrastructure pools uh, across cloud. And then of course, with uh, AI coming at the forefront, things that will be much more AI driven. If you look at it from a service provider standpoint, therefore, uh, this is both a flood of new things that they need to come up to speed with, but at the same time, opportunities that are staring them in their face for monetizability that are a bit different from what they have historically done. So right now is the time for service providers to think creatively about, as an example, how could they become the front end for a multi-cloud networked service? How could they become the providers of a distributed edge architecture that enables inferencing to be done better? And how could they, in fact, bring uh, overlay and virtual connectivity options to their customers um, in different geographies or even in localized geographies that are uh, much more superior compared to the existing alternatives that uh, customers have. So monetizability to me now <clears throat> is something that needs to be thought about a bit more creatively and differently than uh, the historic service provider uh, philosophy of how they would like to monetize. And this opportunity, I think, is like I said, the timing is right now. Uh, and so service providers do need to think out of the box ASAP. Mm. Yeah. What, what are you seeing in terms of the pace of investment for Arcus, um, particularly around software-enabled switching routing solutions? Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at sort of the macro 5G um, world and if you look at the macro carrier world, there is a feeling that uh, <clears throat> that has either peaked or even to some extent a bit on the decline in terms of 5G related investments in the cycle. Uh, whereas what we see as Arcus is we see the expansion of the investment into related areas. So transport is a good example uh, because while the core radio related investments or RAN related investments might still be done or maybe it's uh, not growing quite as fast as people intended, where in fact there is a lot more energy being put into is how do you extend that architecture complemented, whether you're doing a traditional RAN or a no RAN architecture, how do you take that, bring that to the edge? Uh, how do you make this deployable into the edge with new services? And as I was mentioning before, how do you then connect it to one or more hyperscaler clouds? And so, the investment has actually now shifted from what I would call as core 5G investments to now making the architecture more efficient. Um, 5GA, 5.5, etc., are all examples of taking what you've got and uh, getting and extracting more value out of it 
and ensuring that the network now is able to support the trends like not just 5G, but edge computing, cloud computing, as well as AI. And so this is where I think the uh, shift is in, is happening in investment, and we're getting the positive benefit of that because we're complementing the existing carrier network with everything they can do to, to get a more efficient network architecture. Yeah, so what I hear you saying, I mean, I, th- I think you're right. I think a lot of the um, reporting in the media and a lot of the coverage is around the 5G investment around the RAN, and we sort of topped out and – there was a lot of money spent on Spectrum and just deploying uh, the new 5G infrastructure and the RAN. Uh, but it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, that because that investment's been made, um, you're the target customers that you're going after are actually looking at, okay, how do they exploit that capital investment? Exactly. Um, potentially, potentially going into new markets. Exactly. And then there is also, for example, the extensions to cell site routing and what happens at the edges and uh, access. So while there is a level of kind of core spend that has happened, uh, there's a lot of spend that is now uh, imminent and uh, unleashing itself in both the extension architectures as well as uh, things that get it into the endpoints. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about private wireless. That's, again, an area that's been discussed in the industry for many years how do you see the intelligent edge in the era of cloud? And you had mentioned the emerging 5G advanced opportunity. I think that's probably a few years down the road. But just in general, what are the near-term opportunities with private wireless, uh, let's say, over the next two years? Yeah, so first of all, I think that <clears throat> a lot of people think about this in a very discreet and uh, sort of a digitized way saying, okay, are we in private or are we not in private wireless? Um, And to some extent, it's a little bit of which spectrum uh, waves are opened up in which part of the world uh, for what kind of private access. But in fact, this is an evolving area. I think if you look at um, even areas like IoT, like uh, industrial automation, and how people are looking to leverage what networks they have access to and how they can actually become more efficient. Uh, I, I think the the reality there is that it's not a one-time thing. It's not an overnight decision. It is, in fact, people that have been looking at even 4G technologies as well as how to get hybrid Wi-Fi coverage. And then uh, applications are then emerging uh, whether those are large industrial setups, oil rigs, or um, uh, outdoor infrastructures that require better radio-based coverage that are naturally extending themselves as the uh, the hunting ground for private 5G, private wireless, and uh, infrastructures that are going to lead to a more economic value proposition for customers to control that and manage that and provide networking to these types of areas. Um, I think where people get tripped up is, like I said, either thinking about it as a discrete point in time where they say, oh, we're going to make this shift or thinking about it as a technology that is going to be a one size fits all that covers all use cases. So neither of those are true, uh, but I am seeing a lot of very specific instances 
where customers are beginning to get success and economic benefit out of deploying private uh, private architectures that are cell-based and or cellular technology-based, and in particular, private 5G. Okay. And just on that point, Shekhar, adjacent to that is sort of the Industry 4.0 initiative. Is that, you know, I, I know we're kind of getting into more of a verticalized approach, but is that an opportunity for Arcus? Uh, absolutely. And, and again, like, uh, uh, just to be very clear, think about us as the transport fabric that is, um, I mean, no pun intended, but it is Ethernet based. So it is sort of ethereal in that sense, and it extends itself from uh, <clears throat> all of um, the core technologies to all of the endpoint technologies. And so what that means mm. is uh, we think about ourselves as an extremely sophisticated network operating system at the end of the day. And that's what the software does. Yeah, You can yeah. then layer that software on top of infrastructures that can be hardware-based and infrastructures that can be actually cloud-based. And the combination of this then leads us to a very efficient point-to-point -point mechanism of taking a packet and transporting it from one part of the world to another part of the world with the right kind of policies then enforced on top of it. Now, at the other end, this can then get deployed into a private 5G network. It can get uh, deployed into an industry 4.0-like initiative. Uh, it can be used for industrial automation. And so uh, think about us as the foundational architecture in the network around which we light it up with many different use cases and application points, one of which could be private 5G connectivity. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Arcus Connected Edge. Uh, I mentioned it at the top of the call, ACE, um, and you just uh, noted uh, ArcOS, which is your network operating system. Um, what are the entry points that you see in the market for ACE? And probably more importantly, who's the target buyer and why is Arcus being considered against the incumbents? Sure. So we have three uh, groups of customers or three customer segments, if you will. So one is the um, enterprise. And as the uh, enterprise is upgrading itself or enterprises upgrade themselves to hybrid connectivity with on and off-prem um, routing and switching and leveraging multiple clouds, these enterprises are then looking for the efficient switch and route architecture, whether that is top of rack or whether those are spines, leaves, et cetera, for their data centers, as well as they are looking for how to connect to the cloud infrastructure. So that's one entry point. The second entry point for us is cloud companies themselves and whether these are clouds or cloud infrastructure companies providing colo hosting, interconnections, et cetera, these companies are now also looking for the efficient network connectivity between their data centers, within their data centers, connecting their data centers to the 5G network, as well as connecting their data centers to enterprises. And that's, again, an opportunity for Arcus to provide that level of connectivity technology to these cloud companies. And then the third area is telcos, communication service providers, and anyone that is in the business of, I would say, content and communication. And as they are building out their 5G networks and they're building out their edge infrastructure, 
these uh, carriers and network operators are looking for once again a single efficient network fabric that is software driven that is programmable and that allows them in turn to seamlessly connect to both the enterprise as well as cloud infrastructure so these are the three camps that we deal with as customers the uniqueness of what we do in many ways actually resembles my previous job at vmware where vmware ultimately was an abstraction layer on top of underlying compute infrastructure to normalize that uh, plane and then allow for different workloads to be operated on top. So think about Arcus similarly as an abstraction layer on top of the network infrastructure that then allows different network workloads to operate on top of us uh, in a very normalized way. And so when we look at um, the Arcus connected edge or even more broadly speaking, the Arcus network fabric, then this is enabling uh, carriers, service providers, but also cloud companies and enterprises to have a uniform architecture that allows them to create, deploy, and manage and operate network functions and services in the most efficient way. Let me just stay on that topic. I mean, it's something that um, we see quite a bit uh, as industry analysts, and that is you have you have these innovative companies like your company, Arcus, and they are a disruptor in the marketplace. But still, you know, you sort of you're faced with this. Um, hey, you know, I'm not going to get fired by buying from incumbents uh, sure. in the network. And so my question to you is, how do you avoid getting outmaneuvered by some of the bigger incumbents? Um, that have the distribution channels, the sales, the marketing, just the brand awareness. Um, what, what, you know, where are you able to go in and sort of say, hey, you know, here's our value proposition that you can't get anywhere else? Yeah, so I think it begins with the idea that <clears throat> most of the incumbents at the end of the day are both economically motivated as well as it's just a fact of like large company legacy history that they have architectures that are not easily modified and, uh, and by design are more inflexible. So if you go in and let's say you're a new operator or a new enterprise or a new cloud and you're beginning and you're actually building your network from scratch today, then yes, there is the option of going to an existing uh, large networking incumbent that can provide you a box uh, that would solve a very specific problem in your network. And then when you go in and you say, you know, I want something else in my network to be solved, they give you a second box uh, or a box that looks completely different. And then you go to a third point and then you get a third box. So the complexity that this starts become uh, introducing into your network is your your network, while you might actually be contracting out with a single vendor, it is not a homogenous network. It is, in fact, built with multiple piece parts that are not flexible, that are not manageable across. The advantage that uh, uh, anyone building or even thinking about um, upgrading their network now has compared to even three or four years back is that there is a maturity in the software-based networking technology that is available for routing and switching like what we've got at Arcus 
that gives them a credible alternative and option. And importantly, this is a coexist option. So as an example, you can deploy a switch or a router with Arcus software on top of either white box networking hardware, or perhaps that hardware can come from uh, NVIDIA or, or, uh, or, or some other vendor. I mean, in many cases, Silicon comes from Broadcom. But the choices that you have are to now standardize on your software architecture and then build that on top of the infrastructure that might be coming from different processor vendors, as opposed to going and tethering yourself to uh, single siloed um, large incumbent vendors in the networking space. So this is a very dramatic shift. It is one where uh, we are, I'd say we are probably fortuitous to find ourselves uh, driving and leading this charter at this time versus three years back or three years forward, because three years back, the maturity was not there in the customers to adopt these architectures into the core of their network. Three years forward, it'll probably be a bit late for a new incumbent to come in uh, because the barriers to entry are still pretty high. And that's why I think the timing has actually worked very nicely in favor, not necessarily all planned by us in kind of Swiss precision. Uh, but this is the right time where we're finding a lot of reception from um, major customers. And these are all marquee names. These are some of the highest market, market cap companies in the whole world that are coming in and saying, we love the fact that we now have an alternative to an incumbent. We like the fact that this is now software defined we are able to go in and actually program this architecture using Terraform scripts. Uh, and we are able to seamlessly then connect this to clouds, to a 5G environment, as well as to our on and off-premise existence. So okay. that that's the difference. That's what has changed. And that's why we're seeing, uh, we're seeing not the kind of hurdles that you might expect in a, very uh, staid and um, and conservative environment like networking. Okay. Yeah, one of, one of the things you recently released a feature called uh, egress cost control, ECC, um, and the technology is really designed to streamline and optimize the cloud connectivity costs. You, you state that uh, there's potential savings up to 40%. Um, and you're using this with your Flex MCN technology. So, um, you know, from my point of view, it's interesting because you're solving a fundamental business problem, but at the same time, you're also providing visibility and allocation of those egress costs for different units that you would be selling to. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit more about adoption in the marketplace and, and just the conversations that you're having with potential customers? around ECC. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a very fascinating topic. I think, uh, in fact, uh, a lot of uh, limelight got uh, shown on this because recently Google announced that they were getting rid of the um, costs for somebody actually moving data out of Google Cloud when the customer stopped becoming a customer of Google. And while that is an element, it's really sort of the tip of the iceberg, if you will, in terms of costs that customers incur for data migration or data transfers between clouds. There is a very significant cost that they incur in egress when 
just as an average course of everyday activity, data moves from one hyperscaler highway to another one. And often the hyperscalers will have different costs associated with egress points that are globally distributed. Uh, and while there have been attempts in the past to understand that, to publish that and know that, what hasn't been done is a smart and intelligent way to automatically use the router infrastructure to manage that packet flow so that you can, in fact, impose an economic policy on top of this cloud migration and cloud activity or intercloud activity uh, that can automatically be uh, controlled based on egress costs. And that is what we have done. We've introduced this technology called egress cost control. Because we own the routing stack, because we have the ability to insert ourselves into different hyperscaler clouds, essentially as a networking workload into the uh, container or VM environment in the cloud, and because we can then layer ourselves on top of multiple different underlying computer um, network hardware infrastructure on premise, we now have the ability to go in and impose or uh, otherwise um, include a policy that says something like, I want all these packets to go from this point to another point in the world based on the lowest egress costs that you can incur. Uh, the analogy that we like to quote is very similar to having your different airlines that you can fly from and multiple different airports and hubs and so on. And so mm -hmm. if you want to go from point A to point B, you would often go in um, previously and have to manually go in and get all the uh, information and decide what your uh, flight hops should be for uh, economizing your airfare. But then along came the whatever kayaks of the world and Google Travel and various sources that came in and automatically did that for you. So this is equivalent to that where we've now got egress cost control that can be introduced as a policy in our FlexMC and multi-cloud networking fabric that goes in and intelligently starts routing things based on uh, available cost information for egresses on the hyperscalers uh, exit points and then adjust that for yeah. minimizing that based on okay. knowing what the workload is. So do you, do you have an API to a backend ERP system so that you understand the cost uh, for each customer? And then obviously what you're, you're, what you're pointing out is you can just handle all the, all the routing. And yeah, exactly. So again, I don't want to sound like everything is completely done in a way in which uh, uh, this is uh, just kind of hit the button and consume. Right. Having said that, we are, uh, we've got the technology now that in fact can suck in, infer, uh, get all the knowledge of all the costs of the, uh, the, the cloud egress points and then automatically set policies for the um, intermediate routing to go in and enable uh, least egress cost transfer of data from one point to the other. Uh, but there is a, a continuous, I would say, product management that is going on so that future releases of our Flex MCN will each become more and more capable uh, as we mature this technology. Okay, great. I want to switch things a little bit, um, 
go back to your role when you're EVP of strategy and corporate development. What do you make of the Cisco Splunk and more recently the HP Juniper deals? Um, do, do you expect to see more of this type of deal making? Yeah, so I think I'd say uh, three things, uh, Patrick. So one is there is always a constant ability for larger companies to look and see how they can expand their markets inorganically. And in my previous role at VMware, I used to do that as well, uh, because at some point, organic technologies and organic um, uh, ability to go and uh, conquer new markets, etc., then gets limited. And so, and then almost always this leads to a conversation around adjacencies and how the right kind of combinations can then help a larger player go in and um, essentially establish themselves in a new market or an adjacent market. Um, Cisco Splunk is a good example of that. The HPE Juniper thing is a bit more hybrid in that um, there, there were some combinations of both networking technology as well as uh, AI-based technologies that played there. Uh, right. And uh, it's a bit more of kind of two large things coming together. So the jury is still out on how efficient that can be in servicing customer needs. Uh, but, the, so, but the first point is that all of these large companies are now looking at how else they can expand beyond their uh, core business into adjacencies. The second thing is that we have probably not even seen the beginning of what such M&A activity can be like in the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, this is just the beginning. I see a lot more. I mean, even just given the number of outreaches we get, um, it is fascinating how uh, active that has become in the last, uh, I'd say, three months compared to even the three years prior. Uh, and so I fully expect that this uh, this is going to you, become... You mean the level of... The level of deal making and the, and probably more importantly, the size of the deal making in this. The level of deal making, the size of deal making, the significance of the transactions. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the conversations we get involved in are people that are looking to essentially extend themselves into a software based uh, yes. networking fabric, et cetera. It's just becoming more and more important. And then the third thing I will mention is AI, uh, which is given how much both uh, uh, real interest as well as buzz, the recent um, uh, AI, LLMs, uh, foundational architectures, etc., have created, uh, it is inevitable that uh, that is going to lead to a wave also of uh, M&A activity that is going to be driven by AI. And in particular, while most of the focus is on co-pilots and the ability for AI to be inserted into pretty much every different function or uh, application. Where we are focused on and where we see a lot of activity that will unfold over the course of the next 12 to 18 months is at that infrastructure level, which is increasingly we're seeing people start to complain about the scarcity of something or the lack of extensibility of an architecture to uh, or distributed networks or a focus on how we can do better inferencing because that's where more money actually gets made 
in terms of really delivering the results to the end user of the AI. Um, and these are all things that I think will also lead to more interesting M&A activity and combinations as you look ahead. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's a bit of the AI angle with Cisco Splunk, as you mentioned, um, and even HP Juniper. I mean, a lot of the opportunities are things that we saw in the 90s where you, you got to build out the infrastructure. So if you're looking at AI workloads, you got to have that infrastructure in place. And I think there's been a lot of excitement around you know, the the companies like NVIDIA and AMD and even ARM, you know, that are that are essentially AI plays on the semi side, but it'll then move up to the infrastructure. You got to connect all this stuff together to yep. run these AI workloads. Um, just just a final question for you. Um, again, sort of an insertion point question. Like when you look at this AI market, where do you see the best opportunities for Arcus in the next year or two? Yeah, so unquestionably, uh, it is in the infrastructure space around AI uh, where we are seamlessly anyway building a network that creates extensibility that takes very large data centers and connects them together as well as takes large data centers and brings it to the edge. So that that, that part of transport that leads to a distributed infrastructure uh, is where I see the biggest play for Arcus. Uh, and once again, this is something that is increasingly going to become important, prominent, and be called into question because the initial AI um, excitement is all about taking a bunch of GPUs, putting them in a cluster, and then having them solve a fairly complex training problem. Uh, but as you now start extending that and as you start putting kind of multiple different forms of virtualized uh, LLMs uh, that are distributed geographically and that have different characteristics of what they want in terms of data transfers, um, uh, as well as latency requirements and uh, geographic distances. That is when you need an extremely efficient network architecture that can extend these data centers, connect in between them and bring them to the edge. And that is where I see uh, Arcus playing a very, very strong role and increasingly our customers are now starting to talk to us about that specific use case. Excellent. Thank you, Shekhar, for your time and your insight on the high performance edge networking market and uh, look forward to seeing you in Barcelona. Look forward as well. Looking forward to a great show and uh, speak to you soon, Patrick. You have been listening to the Apple Door Research Podcast. Join us next time for more insights and conversation on the transformation of talent.